Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let him have it, coach. G'day, everybody. Well, as you know, it is the month of August, and I'm so excited to be talking about my up-and-coming book, What Makes a Great Coach. Last week, we spoke about the research, where it came from, over 500 of the world's top coaches. Many of you have been on the podcast or your listeners of the coaching podcast that have helped support that data into the top 10 practices that are within the book. So you heard about the research last week. This week, on the Coaching Cafe podcast, which is the podcast of my co-author, Natalie Ashdown from the Open Door Coaching Group. And we're going to be talking about the number one practice of what makes a great coach, and that is passion. Now, we're not talking about the rah-rah passion, but the authentic, genuine passion that becomes a driving force. I'm going to be sharing a famous quote from one of my mentors, David Parkin, legendary former AFL coach and premiership captain, and he said, coaching is about passion. You need plenty of it if you're going to survive in this world. So please join us on Thursday, the 11th of August at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time USA or 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time USA or the following day, which would be August 12 at 12 noon Australian Eastern Standard Time. I'll be putting the link below so you can join us. That will be a live podcast and we'd love for you to check that out as well and learn more about what makes a great coach. So speaking of passion, today's guest is Aaron Rusnak and he has plenty of it. So let's get started. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. Somebody who reached out to me after listening to grow and, and learn about different people. He's been coaching and teaching for over 26 years, and he's the Director of Performance at Five Star Tennis Centre. All right, Aaron, you probably are aware of the first question. It's a stacked question. Have you been to Australia, and have you tasted the Australian spread of Vegemite? I would love this one on my bucket list is to go to Australia, so I can say, unfortunately, I have not had it, nor have I been to Australia, so that's, that's on my bucket list before, <laughs> before my time is done here. Uh, to definitely go there and then probably when I go there do try it I've inspired you to give it a go all right what about no. anchovies on a pizza you either love it or you dislike it what's your take no no good on the anchovy pizza could you start with a coaching moment that didn't go well and what might be a lesson or two sure um I actually have two uh two two one was actually with my early it's probably like two years into teaching so you know 24 years ago I actually had a a class that my coach I'm really grateful for. Um, he was a big believer on, you know, me working with all ages, you know, every different type of challenges because his big philosophy was if you can't teach someone fundamentals or the basic foundations of the game, you know, there's no reason why you should be teaching anyone at a higher level. Um, so needless to say, he came to me, uh, there was a class that no one wanted to do. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a Saturday noon to one class. And it was actually a class with kids with all different types of disabilities. I had kids who had Asperger's. I had a boy who was in a wheelchair who basically played tennis with a special racket out of his mouth. Um, I had you know kids with ADHD, ADD. Um, you kind of you name it. It had a, a broad spectrum. You know, people with Down syndrome. Um, I have to say that was in my early career that had to be the most. Um, enjoyable at one way but yet stressful at the same time because 
I'm literally have, you know, every different type of learning challenge thrown at me all at once. And at that time, I only had one person helping me. I had, a, I had an aide there that was helping me along the way. But I have to say, it definitely creates, as you'd say, the creative juices had to be flowing because I had to be very, very creative, think outside the box so that everyone had a chance to feel they're participating in our sport. Um, because it was not like I could just come out there and start talking about grips and footwork and all the other things that we would typically talk with someone who would say bodily, ably, you know, able to do. So, um, so yeah, that was probably the most challenging coaching moment. I have to say in all my years of teaching this game, my other one to kind of go over like what most coaches might say, I had a student of mine um, who had a lot of potential. Um, and this had been like maybe 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, and um, just saw so much in him. It was a great kid. But every lesson, I felt like I was throwing the kitchen sink at him. You know, everything I'm throwing at him, you know, explain like why, you know, talking about, you know, life skills, work ethic, the whole nine yards. And it literally was like for about a year and a half. It was just a battle. You know, like a pure pleasure to work with them, but it was just a battle. And the dad was just like, I don't know if he's ever going to get this. Like, I see what you see. You know, I see the, the picture because I told him, I said, whenever I work with anybody, it's kind of like, you know, like we're, we're like an artist. You know, it's like a, can a blank canvas. And we have in our head what we want that picture to turn out to be. And I knew in my head what he was capable of doing, but it was a matter of what could I do to get him to, to do what I'd like him to do. And for about a year and a half, I literally felt like I was jumping through hoops, you know, to the point where I, I was like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is, this is just one of those lessons where I'm like, you know what, maybe we have to try someone else because I just don't know. And then all of a sudden it turned into a positive and eventually something clicked and he went from this kid who didn't want to do any type of training, you know, was very talented, but one of those kids who just didn't want to train. So all of a sudden he's in the gym. He's asked me what to do in the gym. Now we're working out in the gym. And then he became one of our best players of our state in doubles. So he did really, really well for his sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school. Do you know what it was that clicked for him? Was was it a moment? Was it a, just one day? Was it a gradual? Or or what was it for, for that athlete to help? Good question. I think part of it was it, this was his freshman year going to sophomore year uh, when it when it clicked. And I felt like, because I started with him when he was back in eighth grade, and I felt it because, you know, like many players, when they're very talented, some of them don't work so hard, things kind of came easy to him. And I think that, like, also that transition from junior high to high school, so there was that maturity setting there. And then I felt like, you know, freshman year, you know, it's kind of like the fish out of water, something new. But as far as the tennis is concerned, I just felt like the things that I had kind of been, you know, going about different ways to him, I think he started to understand why I've been, it was so um, diligent on certain things that he, certain concepts he really had to really focus on. No matter if I had to explain the concept seven different ways, each one was still guiding him to one type of thing that I wanted to make it. I can't take a hundred percent credit for it. I think it was just, I didn't give up on him. Yeah. What about on the flip side? Could you think of a coaching moment that went well and what's the lesson? I could think of a lot of stories, but I think the biggest thing I can honestly say in all my years is the thing I've been blessed with, and it's it's a memory that's part of why I do what I do to this very day, is that I would say out of 26 years, I have retained majority of all my kids long-term, um, that they look at me more than just a tennis coach. So to me, that's like the biggest payment ever. I tell this story to a lot of kids, you know, when I start working with some of them, because, you know, as you know, it's like you get to know a kid, they get to know you, you start to listen to them and stuff like that. And I think that one of the things I always tell the kids is like, if I won a million dollars or if I didn't have to work another day in my life, I would still be on this court right now with you because money's not everything, you know, the making a difference in someone's life and, and you seeing that you're actually impacting someone's life um, and you're making a difference on them, not just their tennis game, but them as a person. 
that's that means that like that hits my soul. I actually have one story. Um, I had a boy who worked with another staff member of mine for many, many years and was a very, very good player. Um, the only thing is he's he really suffered. He he grew up as a uh basically had no dad in his life and um he had a lot of outbursts, you know, a lot of a lot of anger. You could just see a lot of pent up, you know, frustration, you know, obviously a lot of uh negative things going on in his mind. And um I remember him and his the coach he used to work with, he used to get fights all the time, you know, just this constant thing. And then he was in my program at the club I was at the time. And I don't know how many times I had to remove him, you know, from bad, you know, bad language or bad behavior, you know, stuff like that. And had many talks with him. And finally him and his coach separated and it was going into his high school. And I remember him asking me, you know, would I work with him? And I said, you know, if I do this, you have to understand a couple of things. I said, one, I said, your behavior is not the way this game is meant to be played or the way you're supposed to conduct yourself in the court. I said, you're, you're not respecting your mom. I said, your mom is your family and she's doing everything she can to provide for you. And she's by herself. I said, then you're disrespecting yourself because you could be so much better than what you are right now. If you just would step back and look at, you know, basically mature on some things. And I told him, I said, if I take you on, that means I'm also going to represent that, you know, whatever behavior you do, I condone. And I said, I don't condone the behavior that you're doing. And I told him, I said, you know, if you one time misbehave, I said, I don't care how bad the day is. I don't, you know, I said, as long as you tell me I've tried to find solutions, there's no reason why to be upset. I said, so no bad behaviors, no breaking rackets. There's no bad language. You know, I just basically set down the guidelines and uh, needless to say, um, I'm kind of like a dad to him, you know, all these years. And now he's super successful in life right now. I couldn't be more proud of him. Um, but it was a definitely a turning moment for him. He got a full scholarship to a D1 school, played tennis. Thanks for sharing that. It, the lesson there that, that comes to mind as well is just, we never know what impact we can have beyond the court as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, investing in people is is definitely uh, the name of the coaching game. All right, what about uh, a sliding doors moment in your life? Yeah, I got two. I got two. I got one when I, uh, you know, back in 2008, I was pondering whether I was going to continue playing futures. And my love of my wife, my wife actually yesterday was 25 years for us, but she she, she's, as you know, when you're playing, it's not just you, you have your family that's with you throughout the ride. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where I had to really think about, you know, I was really just from all my overtraining, I was just fighting injuries my whole career. And I, I'm kind of old school, I'll serve and volley on both serves. You know, my, my idol is Patrick Rafter. So that's who I had on my game around. Uh, my body was fighting me and it was really hard because as you know, when you devote your life to a sport and try to make it at the highest level, you know, it's very, very hard emotionally, um, to walk away. And as much as I was teaching and stuff on the side, it was my main goal at the time was, you know, solely to try to make a living at tennis and uh, to walk away in 2008. It was, a, it was, it was hard. The first year, you know, uh, was when everyone goes, Oh, what do you do? I'd always say, Oh, I'm a tennis player and I'm a coach, you know, instead I'm a tennis coach. It was still, I'm a player. Second was the coach. You know, I moved forward um, with that one. And then when I went to that job, you know, it really, um, create opportunities for me where um, I had unbelievable growth. You know, I basically was a regular pro the first year and, um, you know, from all the hard work and all the different things. And I jumped in, I did everything that needed me to do, no matter if it was kids stuff, adult stuff, you know, whatever programming. And um, within the first year, I, I went to a director's position there and um, they really believed in me. You know, as we talk about growth mindset, um, you know, they were feeding me, you know, every day knowledge that I was just thriving on and I loved it. You know, I went from a program that had very little kids in it to one of the largest programs in our in our in our club, 
Um, and then later on, I went to another director's program, which was more of a higher, you know, higher, older level uh, players. And I did the same thing. I made the highest numbers that the club had ever had. And, um, you know, and then fast forward, the next sliding part of that door became where I was there about 12 years. I actually left um, because they had, there were some things going on that there was some fraud going on and some other, you know, unprofessional things that were going on. And it was definitely changing the culture of certain individuals and certain things that were going on there. And, you know, just I, the way I was, the way I was raised with morals and values and, and the type of culture that I, re- I really wanted to sustain there, you know, was not sustainable. So it was one of those things where I literally had to step away from that facility and um, basically rediscover myself, you know, and then when I left that facility, all my kids that were there came with me to my next facility, which I was really, really grateful for. But in that new facility, I had to, you know, I basically had went to a facility that really didn't have a tennis program um, for juniors, um, higher level juniors, and basically created a high level program there. Um, you know, during that time, that's uh, basically, you know, when I got, uh, you know, certified by the ATV tour um, through their coursework and stuff, I got certified through. Um, and then also that's when I got the, the tennis channel award for the top 25 mil. And I, and I really feel those things that it's much as humbling and grateful I am. I, I really feel those things would have never really actually kind of happened if I never stepped away. I tell my son that, you know, you can lie, cheat and steal and get paid off to stay somewhere and that's okay. Then what type of morals am I leaving my kid, you know, and, and that doesn't sit well with me throughout my years just like yourself or anyone else, you know, we learn from our, our experiences. And I think, you know, in my 26 years, I've, I've learned, I think, so much from my students, you know, and from the coaches around me, um, how to do things better, you know, um, what to say, what not to say, you know, when to stay quiet, when to be active. I think one of the things that I actually learned from you, listening to your podcast, to be quite honest with you, um, I thought about it after one of your podcasts of, you know, a lot of directive or indirective. And it was funny because I sat there and I watched a program, uh, uh, one of the classes being done by another another pro, and I just watched how much directive there was going on. And it was funny because I'm thinking to myself when I teach classes or if I, if I travel with a player or anything like that, I'm like thinking, I'm thinking how much directive to indirective do I interact with them? So you made, you yourself made me think about that. And so I'm grateful for that. So thank you. So I was I took that back and I was like, you know, I did this like months and months ago after this one podcast that you had. And I go, I'm going to spend a whole entire day. So I did 11 hours straight, all just asking questions. It kind of stems into also then kind of my own like philosophy as far as like if I was teaching you, I have to listen to you and learn how you learn before I know how to approach you. I highly recommend any coach listening because I mean, I did that exact same uh, process that you did um, back in 2006 and it changed my world. So uh, it's a great, um, Carla McKenzie, the uh, coach um, that I caught up with recently, she described it really well how so many coaches push information onto others instead of pulling it out of the person in front of you. And I think one of the main benefits that we all need to remember is that that empowers decision-making under pressure, which is, you know, which is, which is sport, which is life. The more we can uh, pull information out of somebody helps them stand on their own two feet, uh, which is what you've pretty much spoke about. Your, you know, most of this episode so far is yeah. people with those life skills. Um, but congrats on being courageous and uh, make, making the move. All right, what what about uh, our guiding question, Aaron? In one to a maximum of three words, what do you yeah. think makes a great coach? All right. Well, my first one, and that is passion. 
I, I think you have to be passionate about what you're doing, um, whether it's tennis or anything in life. I think you got to have a real true love for what you're doing. Cause I think if you really love what you're doing, um, it'll always show um, you, you, as you know, anyone, I don't care if you go to the supermarket or anyone else, if someone's loves what they do, no matter what it is in their profession, it shows whether they, they want to be there. Passion would be one. Um, definitely. I think the other one, you know, kind of chiming into what we just talked about is listening, you know, having listening skills, you know, to be able to listen to people. So many people want to be heard, but I think the way they actually help the most is by listening to, by listening to the person. So that would be two. Um, and I think it, it ties into this also, which kind of is the other part is caring. Um, you know, I think in today's society and, and in our industry, I think we just need more people caring about what they're doing, whether you're teaching a, a five-year-old or a nine-year-old or you're, you know, whatever you're doing, I mean, you got to care about what you're doing. Um, but I think, like I said, if you have the passion, you'll bring the energy, which then transfers, hopefully that you will, you know, take the interest to listen to people. Uh, and definitely the research supports uh, each of those three things were in the top 10 of over 500 yeah. of the world's best coaches. So uh, great sure. qualities and just a great reminder uh, for us to check in with those skills. So thank you for sharing those. What about the question that you love to ask of others. What are you deeply curious about? How do I become a better coach to be recognized to be on the tour? Anyone who's come in contact with me, you know, whether it's players or anything else, they, they're like, you know, why aren't you working with someone, you know, someone on the tour, you know, and um, I have a few friends who, you know, who do it for a living and, um, and they know how much I have value to bring, but um, it's just, that's my thing. It's like, I feel like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rudy. It's a football movie. Yep. I feel like I'm Rudy. Like I feel like I, I'm, I'm fighting for something I really want uh, for myself. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, I have deeply support from my family just because um, I've, my son has special needs. So I've always put my family over my needs. And it's something that my wife's been working on me that, you know, in order to make myself truly happy, um, I have to do something that really challenges me that I know that even though I might, you know, I might struggle, I might frustrate me at times, but she knows how I am and knows how I've overcome so many things in my playing career. You know, how many times I've been told I'll never play again from so many injuries and I've come back. She knows me, you know, just as much as my parents, you know, just so many things. And it's just, she knows what I'm made of and those that are around me and the, the kids I've had opportunity to, you know, be a part of their lives. They see how much I, how much I care. And I really do care. You know, I'm not just going through the motions. I really want, I, I really want this bad, you know, and I just feel like I'm that movie. I feel like I'm Rudy where I'm just like, I just need that one chance to show someone that I'm capable of doing what I'm, I am. And, you know, it's just kind of like you were talking about, um, you know, things about evolving and stuff. And it's so, so funny because, you know, me being a servant volleyer and, you know, I've always been a double specialist and attacking style player. And, and it's funny cause it's not taught that much anymore. And where I live, that's kind of what I'm known for. And just recently, I've been having a lot of higher ranked players who work with other coaches see me out for that, you know, not necessarily take over as a coaching position, but, you know, kind of uh, assist in that position, you know, that thing. And I just feel like that might be something that I'm going to start creating as a niche, you know, looking at coaches, too, that if I ever could have talked to, um, I would have loved to talk to many people. Many people that, that have been around longer than me that's coached a lot of me said that they remind me of, that I'm like Vic Braden in some ways, the way I think outside the box. I think Vic Braden, you know, Dennis Vanman, you know, Vandermeer in that, or or even, you know, Peter Burwash who just passed. You know, it's like I never had opportunity to be blessed to to even have a conversation with those gentlemen, you know, but that was, would definitely be one. I mean, 
another one sticks out of my head that I would have loved to interact with him and saw the way he trained players was Harry Hopman. Um, I would have loved to see that. Um, there's a lot of Australian coaches that I, I, I would love to learn from. I, I swear in another life I was Australian. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, but no, I think that if I had a living uh, coach that if I could ask to learn from um, would probably been Darren Cahill just because I love the way he breaks down things. Um, you know, I think he does a really good job even when he does his stuff on TV as far as really going into kind of what coaches look for. They inspire growth. They inspire learning to learn outside the box of what we've been kind of told all, all along. The Sangha when he retired, you know, when they had like all of his coaches, his whole entire career come out there and, you know, and, and wish him well. It's like, I got emotional watching that because every one of them had a vital part in his development. You know, you know, it might be that not the touring coach. Now it might've been the one that first put a rack in his hand and got him to first love the game, you know? And I think that where I think that sometimes even the coaches that start kids off, don't get enough respect, you know, that they sometimes get overlooked, you know, the ones that work with the little guys, you know, and then they're challenging in their own way, you know? And I think you have to remember they are the ones that start that dream. And really there's also a lot of great coaches that you know out there that maybe, are not big name coaches, but really do care about the sport. And basically this way, I used to do martial arts when I was a kid. And it's like, you always want to learn from the sensei because the, the master sensei, he might've been this, you know, 80 year old older gentleman or, or woman, but couldn't move hardly, but they had so much experience and knowledge. That's a person I wanted to learn from because they would know what, from their own experiences, what was the right path, what they could have done differently. Well, I think it is about adding to your own coaching toolkit, isn't it? It's about yeah. whether people are dead or alive or, you know, there's podcasts, there's books, there's documentaries and taking one piece of advice that you then can try on and try it for yourself, give mm -hmm. it a go and be open to that, which is sort of the through line of this episode. And, of course, we have had Darren Cahill on the coaching podcast, yep. so uh, also a big fan of his work. So please go back and check that episode out if you haven't already. What's one piece of advice that, that someone has told you that's really stuck with you that you wish you could have told your former self, your early coaching self? One, being open to everything. Like, don't be afraid that if you made a mistake to own up to it. This one guy, his name's Corky Layton. He's like really famous in our area. Um, who had, you know, worked with like Andrea Yeager and, and, and many other people in the time. And, and, um, you know, one of the things he always said to me, he's like, you're, he's like, you're like a, a split. He's like, you're old school, but you're new school, like you're old school thinking, but new school on the outside of the box thinking. And he just said, he's like, I don't want you to veer one way or the other, you know, to be true to yourself. You know, it's funny, actually, you had Simon Wheatley on, on the podcast and I actually had met with him about a month ago. So he was actually here in Chicago. And he had said something, uh, he was doing a seminar and he stood up and he, and it was funny because he asked all these coaches, he goes, you know, who here, you know, is an expert in technique, you know, who, who's an expert in movement, you know, and he went on all these different things. And it was for one, no one said about attacking. There was nothing about coming in that there was no, that was not even a question that he asked. Um, but he had just said that, you know, uh, you know, his whole presentation was about, you know, being open-minded about learning more skills than just what you, you think you're good at or if you're good at something to still expand upon it to get better at it. I love the, the courage of being able to coach across the spectrums and then the importance of also, you know, experiencing that and then be able to, to find and carve out your niche. And, and like you said, but still dig deeper in your niche and, and build your interest and, and knowledge in other areas, but know what that niche is. I think mm -hmm. it's really interesting in what you said. I, it reminds me of someone 
the, the process of Whole Foods here in America, they if you want to be a manager at Whole Foods, they have you work the butcher station and the, the fruit section and pack the shelves. And so you know and, and can understand the developmental pathway. Because um, I always say, you know, one of my favourite things as a tennis coach was my number one goal was to make myself redundant in terms of yeah. I've given my player the skills and the tools so that then they can survive in life on and off the yeah. court. Um, so, you know, on that note, um, that's probably my one of my passing or one of my farewell comments for this episode, rounding it out. What would be one of the through lines to leave the coaches with? I think the biggest thing is is to lead by example, um, lead with passion, and to have care and empathy for not only um, your students but your peers around, and know that you know, especially during these times, you know, that we were still going through, um, that everyone has a story, and to be open-minded to hear their story, um, because I think that if we work together as a team, our sport will continue to thrive. You know, and I think that if we continue to think outside the box and grow. Um, as an industry, I think that we can be successful. And uh, as we say down under, think outside the square. It doesn't matter if it's a box or a square. As long as we think outside <laughs> it, we are going right. to be going in the right direction. Aaron Rosnack, thank you so much for being on the Coaching Podcast. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate this honor. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Just a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Lucky in Love. Check out their website, shopluckyinlove.com, for all your golf and tennis sporting attire. And the coupon code is DOYLE20, D-O-Y-L-E, the number 20, to get 20% off all your tennis and golfing needs.